You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea McLeod and Priya Richards. Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed part one as much as I did. We're going to get straight into today's episode. This is part two with Rhiannon Gelsomino. Some of your highlights. So obviously back in 2021, racing alongside Travis Pastrana and you guys became national champions. So yeah, what an awesome moment for you. What was it like achieving that? Yeah, I mean, when Travis and I first got in the car together, we made a deal that we would do one race together and decide whether it worked. Um, obviously, rally is an interesting sport. You need to make sure that your chemistry in the car is good together. You make sure that you communicate well. I have a strong Australian accent. He's obviously American. I have a, a female voice versus a male voice. Uh, luckily for me, a lot of his Nitro Circus guys are Aussies. So when I would be using my Aussie slang or something like that, instead of Travis being like, what? Or, you know, if I'm like, hey, mate, do this or whatever, it wasn't out of the ordinary for him. So I jumped in that car in August 2020 um, and we started testing and everything went well and we won our first rally together. So we're driving the last transit. He's like, okay, Ree, looks like we work well together. Are you happy to, you know, keep being crazy and getting in with me? And I'm like, sounds good to me. So off we went and we did three races that year. That was in the COVID times. So it was obviously a bit quiet. Um, and then 2021, um, I was brave enough to be honest with Travis. I jumped in the car with him and there was a lot of things that he wasn't doing that I could see that he needed to do. And I think a lot of females would probably just be like, I'm sitting with Travis Pastrana. I'm just doing what I'm told. I'm not, you know, saying anything. Whereas I got in the car and I'm like, your notes need to be so much better. We need to do this, this, this. And I called Alex and I was like, Alex, I get the sack. (laughs) This is why. (laughs) Oh my God. He was laughing. He was like, why is that? And I'm like, well, I was really honest with him. And I'm like, you need to do this and you need to do a lot more work on videos. And so I really pushed him. Um, We did a lot of work on videos. We did a lot of work on his notes. We broke down, you know, areas where he was having trouble understanding notes. Um, And one big thing we worked on, it was after recce, we would do double speed on the recce video and I would call the notes to the video. So it's like at race speed and Travis would intently listen to what I was saying and watch the video and make sure that he could process what I was saying because one issue that he had been having was he would only use the videos to go to a section where he found a mistake in the notes so he'd be like oh put video check there whereas I was like there's a lot of time where you're telling me on recce this is what you want but you're not processing it so if we're at speed and you hear that and you don't process it well we're either going to crash, we're going to lose time, or you're just going to be annoyed at yourself because you're like, oh, that wasn't right. So I'm like, we need to use the video for you to process every single note at double speed, like in the rally car, and assess if you can drive flat out to that. And it changed his whole mentality. And 2021, we won all but two races. So um, we had a great year. We won the championship, and it was really good to see you know, and to work with someone that's willing to work as hard as you are. Um, when I'm working with Brendo, Brendo and I are going to push each other as much as we need to. Um, 
we're going to work as hard as we need to. And then you jump in with Travis and he's been the world's best in motocross and stuff like that. So there was never an issue of how much time or work we had to put into it. He was as committed as me. So it's been really cool. And it's been really cool that we can be so honest with each other, brutally honest, um, and neither risk it upset. We just want to be the best. So I think that that's really cool. Um, and 18 races we got to do together for three years. And he says he's coming back next year. So let's see what happens. Um, he told me I could only have one year away and then he needed me back. Um, so hopefully that's the case, but I'm not really sure. And we'll see. But it definitely has been a great experience for myself and I think for Travis to learn from each other and grow and develop as, as we have. It's so cool. And so what are some other career highlights that really stand out for you? Uh, definitely when Brendo and I won Pirelli Star Driver in Spain 2010. Yeah. Um, so we oh. went to the Asia-Pacific Asia, Asia Championship um, and we qualified for Pirelli Star Driver for our area, for our region. Um, and that meant we got to go to Spain in October 2010 to try out for one of six places in the Pirelli Star Driver Scheme. Um, at the end of driving, we had to do a gravel stage, tarmac stage, fitness testing, media testing, um, all sorts of testing over, I think it was two or three days, I can't remember. Um, and Brendo come out as number one. So to win that opportunity and win six rounds of the Junior World Championship fully sponsored by Pirelli was really what gave Brendo and I the opportunities that we've had to travel all over the world and rally all over the world and, and do a lot of what we've done. Um, there's some regrets from those times as far as we wish we had had more budget to do more than just the juniors because the other kids like, so um, Craig Breen, um, who obviously we've lost now too, which is really sad, he won the first year, him and his co-driver, Garrett, who's also passed away. So that's not easy times, let's just say. But um, they won the first year and those guys come and they were testing and they were rallying all the time, whereas we were just coming and virtually rallying in those junior rounds and that's what we were doing. Um, whereas if we could go back 12 years or whatever it was, um, I definitely think we would have had a better plan of, of testing and and rallying in little R2s like we were driving to give Brendo more of an opportunity. Um, in 2012, we did it again and we finished on the podium quite a, a few times and we were coming second until the final round when our engine blew up. So we definitely had a really good year in 2012 and that all come from the opportunity to do Pirelli Star Driver. And it's definitely one of my career highlights because it opened up my eyes to what the world championship was getting out of your comfort zone traveling all over the world it was just especially doing it with your brother it's i still i i nearly get a bit emotional about it to be honest to think yeah. that these two little country kids got that experience because you were good enough and you proved yourself that you could do it you know so it was pretty amazing yeah uh, oh yeah it's it's really cool uh and obviously just you know, going, winning rallies in general, like for me, <laughs> sounds terrible, winning, winning, winning. Um, but, but for me, I, I love winning. Um, uh, but just getting opportunities to race in different championships has been really cool. So in 2016, I think it's probably, 
apart from the year I won the American Championship, 2016 has probably been my best year as far as results and things like that because I was doing rounds of the Scottish Rally Championship with John McCrone, who Brendo and I had raced in the Junior World Championship, and his manager, Richard, had contacted me to see if I could do some rallies with John in Scotland. And John was a very good junior like Brendo, um, and he had a terrible crash in 2015, and his co-driver had passed away. And so John racing was rallying was something he wasn't sure that he wanted to do anymore. So with my flamboyant personality, submissive social butterfly, I think Richard thought I was the perfect person to try and get John back out there and and find his love and passion for rally again. So doing that was something personally that gave me a lot of satisfaction and and I felt so good about helping John get back to what he was doing. And then by our fourth rally together, we won around the Scottish Rally Championship. So to think that I got that opportunity to help bring him back um, and get him back to where he was and and to achieve that with him was amazing. And in that same year, Brendo and I won three rounds of the Australian Rally Championship. We won rounds in New Zealand Championship. Um, and I think I won some rallies in America. So it was pretty cool to be in all these different championships. I had all these rules I was dealing with. I had different drivers I was dealing with. And to be winning rallies in, in different countries and things like that was a really cool thing for me to be experiencing and, and really realising that people valued what I did and, and wanted me in the car to help them win rallies or whether it was to help them, you know, get back into rallying like John or things like that. So 2016 is definitely a year that always jumps out to me as something special. Yeah. Oh, it's so, so cool. And I guess for you, what what do you think the key to success is? What's something that you go by or something that just keeps you motivated and keeps you going in what you do? For me, it's just having a never give up attitude. Um, for the listeners that know me, they know that I've been through hell a few times. I broke my legs in 2009 in nine places. Um, and most co-drivers, wow. I think after that accident that Brendo and I had, probably driver and co-driver would quit. Brendo fractured his neck in, in three places. My legs were broken in nine places. And this is when I wasn't even full-time professional. This is when I'm still a PE teacher. So I feel like you just have to know what you want in life and, and have the desire and passion to continue to work hard and push. Because at that point in time, I had to make choices in my life of where I would go. You know, I, I've just missed 16 weeks of work teaching. I can't walk anymore. I had to learn to walk again. And I, number one, had to get my life back on track, but then I had to work out what I was doing with my life. And for me at that point in time, it was strange because instead of it turning me away from the sport, it made me love the sport even more. Um, so it made me more passionate and determined to you know, come out and be the best that I can be and, and maybe one day be one of the best in the world. Um, and so I've had two, my broken legs and I got burnt in 2014. And those two things that were experiences for me that could have taken my life actually made me a better, stronger, more determined person and someone who's you know, willing to, look, I, I take risk, I, I make sacrifices. Um, and a lot of, I hate it when people say to me, you're so lucky because a lot of people who tell me I'm lucky, they're just not willing to do those things, you know what I mean? And so I always say to people, you know, um, to get to places, it takes risks, it takes determination, it takes 
sacrifice and it takes more than a lot of people are willing to give up. So never tell someone, you know, you're lucky, just work harder and be as lucky as they've been because they worked hard. There's so much below the surface, isn't there, that goes into it. Yeah, and I think that people just don't see. I think that, you know, on the outside, people winning races or whatever, um, they don't see the three hours a night sleep at rallies that I'm getting to make sure that I've watched every video and called every note and practice everything. So when I get in that rally car tomorrow, I don't make a mistake. But at the same time, running on three hours sleep isn't so productive. So it's one of those things that I tell my students, like, you have to be nice and fit because if you are running on three hours sleep and you need to call notes in a rally car, you can't be not on your game. So I definitely think, you know, don't, I, I think for people who are wondering about getting rallying, don't be put off by thinking that you can't. Um, go volunteer at events. That's the first thing I say. Join a car club. Um, find out where your local rallies are. Um, go there. Talk to people. Talk to other co-drivers or drivers. Definitely co-driving is the less ex- least expensive way to get into the sport because we don't need a rally car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need a suit and <laughs> suit, helmet, hands, those fun things. Um, so, you know, don't ever tell yourself, oh, I can't do rally because, you know, I don't know how to. Um, my biggest passion is getting people into the sport and showing people that it is accessible. Um, and maybe it's not driving because you maybe can't afford that, but maybe it's through co-driving like what Alex and I do. And, and it's Alex and my full-time job. It's how we pay our bills. So, you know, maybe, maybe you're good enough that you could get to that level too. So, don't ever be afraid to take a risk and try it and go jump, you know, and and, and just jump into the game and, and talk to people and find out how you do it. Yeah, obviously, as as you've talked about rallying, and as we all know, rallying can be so dangerous and, you know, you can have some, some major setbacks. And I saw back in 2014, you actually posted about it quite recently, um, the crash you had where car caught fire and you were burned. Um, if you'd like to share can you tell us a bit about what happened and and what that recovery was like not only physically but also mentally and then you know getting back in the car after something like that what what was that like yeah so obviously like I mentioned before I've had two pretty bad incidents in my rally career my crash in 2009 in the Australian Rally Championship was the worst um, that I've had in my career um, and took the most for me to get back Um, I broke my legs in nine places um, I had to learn to walk again. Um, it wasn't one of those things where, you know, we could have done something different with safety gear or anything like that. Um, that incident was one where, you know, maybe too fast over a jump. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that's the risk that we take. So that crash in 2009 definitely was the hardest thing I've dealt with my career. And, and you know, it's I, I live with a broken fibula still. So, you know, I've had 11 surgeries since that accident. It's it's been constant um, throughout the years. Um, and then the fire in 2014 was quite different because when I had the crash in 2009 and broke my legs, I can't remember anything from the accident. So whether the shock of it all and my body just blocked out um, what happened, yeah. I'm not really sure. Brendo can't remember either. Um, so it's good for both of us we don't remember because... Yeah. We've never had flashbacks or anything, so I think that's a positive thing. Um, but with the fire, it was quite different because we actually didn't crash in the fire. We had a mechanical problem, and the 
prop shaft or I think we, maybe we call it a tail shaft in Australia, the big shaft that comes down the middle of the car. I think it's a tail shaft in Australia. America, Australia, cool things different. Anyway, it broke and it was like flinging around underneath the car and we kept driving just thinking, you know, press on regardless as we do and it punctured the fuel tank. And so as soon as it punctured the fuel tank, the flames just, woof, it just ignited. Um, and so Nick Roberts, who I was racing with, he pulled over immediately. Um, as soon as he stopped, he opened his door, which is no problem. He has to get out. Um, but the problem was, as soon as I would try and open my door, because I guess the oxygen and the way it was all moving the fire, it would just put flames all over me. Um, so it was a really, really crazy situation because I'm in that car. I'm thinking, cause I know everything that's going on that I'm not going to get out. Like, how am I getting out of this? Um, because every time I would try and get out my door, the, it was like the fire was pushing the door in on me and the flames were engulfing me even more. So Nick had got out, the door was open on his side. Luckily, I'm only five foot three and I was able to get myself out over his side. He's taken off because he thought I was out of the car. I'm still in the car trying to get out. Um, and by the time I got out, I, I burnt my hands and face. But I was so lucky that I was wearing a full face helmet, which I don't necessarily wear now because I find it's quite claustrophobic. But on that day, luckily, I was wearing a full face helmet. I was wearing a balaclava, which in America, they don't make you wear a balaclava. I had the proper race boots. I had all the fireproof underwear. My my suit, which was an Oakley brand suit, um, actually went from black to red in places because it got so much heat. My boots went from black to red. It was crazy. Like you can still see today the different colors in my skin from where my race suit went down to, to where my hands got burnt. So it was pretty crazy that like all the fire that I wore protected me the way it was meant to. Um, so I have to be in a race car four weeks later in this situation, whereas with the broken legs, couldn't remember what had happened. I woke up, oh my gosh, what's happened? I have to recover. Six months later, I'm back in a rally car. So it's a longer process. In this time, I had, I think it was 28 days or something to recover from the burns. Um, Nick had to build a new car and I had to decide whether I felt comfortable getting back in the car and how I was mentally. Um, so my hands hadn't fully recovered. So um, David Higgins actually found me some co-driver gloves. So I wore them with like cut off fingers so I could turn the pages. Um, and it was, I, any time Nick and I would hear like a noise in the car, I'd be like, is something broken? Like, is it? so my mind, um, I had to, you know, get used to the fact that you're going to be okay, Rhiannon. Um, it's just, you know, there's noises and things that happen in the car and I just had to get over the fact that um, what had happened in the last rally and get used to it. So number one, yes, my broken legs was way worse as far as recovery, but the burns mentally was harder to get back in a rally car, that's for sure. In, in those moments where things do go wrong, what kind of, like, if you're in a situation where, okay, we've got to get out, out of the car as soon as we possibly can, what kind of, how do you keep yourself calm to an extent in order to be able to, you know, think properly or is it just kind of do whatever you can to, to, just, to just get out? What goes through your mind, yeah, when something like that goes wrong? Yeah, it's a good question you ask because I've been in quite a few rally crashes now where, you, you know, for some reason it's like 
you get yourself so used to what you're doing as far as the speed um, and what can happen that you're able to keep your heart rate quite low considering what you're doing. Um, and so I find that, you know, I've had a crash where I've rolled seven times, you know, and you finish rolling and you're like, oh, finally, we've stopped rolling. Okay, now let's get out. You know what I mean? Um, or other situations wow. like that. So I think the biggest thing is, number one, you hope that the crash doesn't take very long and nothing comes into the car. So that's always your biggest worry. Um, obviously, the Craig Breen's accident recently, that was what happened with him. So you just hope that when this accident is happening, you're trying to keep nice and calm and cool because you could also land back on your wheels and have to be calling the pace notes and take off again. So you have to, so I'm always exactly. holding onto my notes. I sort of brace them into my chest so that then, you know, I'm, I'm in the right spot still and hoping if we land on our wheels and we take off, I know what I'm doing. Um, but then, you know, if you land on your roof, like Travis and I did a couple of years ago, you know, what processes do you need to go through? So you have to keep yourself really calm because when you're upside down in a rally car, if you just undo your belts, you're going to fall on your head and you might actually get hurt exactly. falling on your head <laughs> when you're fine from the race. So I just try and stay as calm as I can um, and just, you know, try and keep my heart rate low and, and try and keep composed and, and look at how do I exit the car? What's the best way to get out of here? And then obviously how long till the next car comes along and we warn them of our crash and things like that. So it's not easy for someone new um, because obviously this is a stress that they're going through, but just try and keep calm and composed and assess the situation. And I always tell people do a first aid training, even though it's not compulsory, because I think it's really good to know those skills if something happens and you need to be the first aid person for your driver or co-driver. Um, I like to have those skills and know what the most updated is on CPR or things like that, just in case I ever had to help out even one of my fellow competitors that I may come across in the stage. So having skills and knowledge is definitely something I think will help people keep composed and, and be able to act in situations which usually would be something we don't want to deal with in normal life. In, in the time you've been rallying, how have you seen the sport improve safety-wise? Because I know you mentioned you didn't need the balaclava for the like in the crash you had in 2014 you didn't actually need the balaclava and it's like the same you don't need the first aid training what, what do you think the sport needs in order to to improve yeah i mean for me personally i think that people even though there's rules and regulations whether it's the australian rally championship american world whatever i say to people it's your decision to be in that rally car so you choose what safety you think you need so for me personally, I will not get in a rally car that doesn't have like the wing seats or halo seats or whatever you want to call them, the, the um, protection around your head. Um, our, our neck restraints will, will protect us if we have a front on impact. So if we hit a tree or something like that, but our neck restraint isn't going to help us much if we have a side impact into a tree. So why would you risk getting in a rally car that doesn't have that protection for you if you hit a tree sideways? So I personally won't get in, in the car without those seats, whether they're compulsory or not. I know they're definitely not. I see them all over the world still. So it's something that people choose. Um, as far as the balaclava, fireproof underwear, um, the socks, the boots, all of those sort of things, I have been wearing my entire career. And, you know, there's some club rallies in Victoria where I didn't need to wear them. But luckily, it was just taught from an early age from our dad that, these are the things you wear and we didn't even consider that you wouldn't wear them. You know what I mean? 
Um, and in my case, in the fire, it meant like if I was wearing an open face helmet with no balaclava, my face would have been very badly burnt. My neck would have been burnt. Um, I took a photo of someone the other day from her Facebook page and I didn't share it because I didn't want to, but I'm going to speak to the lady and she had her open face helmet on, which is fine. That's what I'm back to wearing now. But all of her hair is all out everywhere. There's no balaclava. Like if she was in the fire I was in, she would be a mess. You know what I mean? So it, it just, it frustrates me in so many ways that a governing body because they don't have rules, people aren't clever enough to take safety into their own hands. Um, we're, we're making a choice to go and rally cars, which is fine, and it's dangerous in itself. So why not choose for yourself and protect yourself the best you can by having all the safety gear necessary? And these days, it's not expensive. You can get the socks, the boots, the balaclava a lot cheaper than we used to be able to. And maybe you can't afford Alpine Star, you know what I mean? But maybe you can afford OMP. You know, like even the ladies, the ladies' suits, the Alpine Star stellar suit I, is a lot of money. It might be $1,000. The OMP female suit is maybe five or 600 So you could have a $500 difference. I have both of those suits. They're both great suits. The Stella suit, the Alpine Stella one, is a lot lighter. You see why it's less expensive than the OMP. But they both do the job they need to if you're in a fire. So I just say to people, you know, read the regulations, see what they say, and then you as a competitor make the safe choices for getting in that car by deciding if, okay, this car doesn't have wing seats, I'm not going in it. Okay, I'm not happy about my position in this car, I'm not going in it. I don't have my all of my gear. I'm choosing not to rally until I have it. I just think that you've got to be clever with all those sort of things. And I think, look, I have a good following on social media and people like to watch what I'm doing. So if I can be that voice that posts ugly photos of me burnt and things like that, it does, like post it to get sympathy. I post it to make people aware of what can happen if you don't, you know, take all the safety precautions you need so i think some people probably think oh she's posting it to get attention nine years later definitely not i'm trying to get attention to talk to people about the safety that they should be taking into their own hands as well for sure and good to see you're so passionate about implementing it as well because yeah i can imagine there'd be a lot of people that just wouldn't think about it until something happens to them i guess i'd also love to know what do you do prep wise before a rally just kind of looking at it as a whole what do you do to prepare yourself not only physically um mentally and then when you get to a rally before you step in the car what sort of things do you do yeah so one big thing in our sport like I spoke about heart rate before it's really important that someone has an idea of what their heart rate is in the car because then we should train um similar scenarios so just say, you know, I have all sorts of fitness things. I don't know. You can't see me, but I've got a, a watch and a, a bloody whoop that Travis gave whoop, me. Whoop band? Fitness, yeah, that's like the thing nowadays, band. isn't it? Yeah, Travis gave me this. I think he's too I think annoying. I need to get one. Um, <laughs> um, so, so find out what your heart rate is in stage. And then, you know, obviously cardio fitness is one of the most important things. So when you do the cardio, though, make sure that you're training your heart rate to a similar standard. So if your heart rate is sitting between 120 and 150, 
and you go on your um, on a bike ride um, and you're sitting on a hundred because you're just casually riding along on your bike and you're having a great time and the magpie swooping you or whatever, you're not your heart rate at, at, at the um, level that it needs to be to be in the rally car. So for me, I know if I go running, say I run for six kilometres, um, my heart rate's going to be somewhere between 130 to 160. And if I do six kilometres, I'm going to be doing like 30 minutes. So if I do that, I know it's going to be probably the longest stage that I could come across. Um, 30 minutes is a long stage if it ever happens. So I know that that's definitely training to that level. So cardio is my most important thing. And then obviously your core um, and then your neck strength. So with core, I always tell people um, the plank hold is a really good one because it's building up your back, your your stomach muscles, your neck, all of that. So a lot of people are like, I can't, I can't even hold 30 seconds. And I'm like, we'll do 30 seconds and then have a minute off and then do another 30 seconds and then have a minute off. Like I said, it does let me... Kate, Kat, uh, Kate um, Raymond, who you had on the show, she's, I think she's got the record of my students. There was one boy who beat her, but she held plank for like five minutes, something. I can't remember. We'll have to ask her, wow. but it was a lot. I was oh, very, God. very impressed. I was like, oh my goodness. So plank wow. is great. Sit up. So obviously any core work that you can do, um, because in that car, even though you're um, belted into the seat, um, you're obviously still, your body is still going through a lot um, and your neck. Um, if you're in an R5 or a world rally car, you have a lot of G-forces that you're dealing with. And if you're a female like me, you have a little neck. So you want to build up the strength in that. So you can use those um, those el elastic bands that they have for training and fitness. I can't remember the, the name of them, but you might've seen some Formula One drivers and those um, doing exercise with them. So they're really important as well. So um, if people have those sort of things they can work with. And then as far as just preparation for the event, um, as soon as the sub-regulations come out for the event, um, I print them off, I read them, highlight them, go through every single detail. And then I wait for every, you know, information coming out. So when the maps come out, I start looking over previous years. Okay, what stages have ran before? What years did they run? Has have my drive has my driver ever ran these stages before? If the answer is yes, then I start to get their onboards from previous years, the notes from previous years. Um, I work, talk to my driver about whether they want to use the notes or whether they want to start from scratch. Leah is starting from scratch because when Brendo trained her, he he convinced her that a one to ten system is a better system. So she's a one to ten system, and she used to be a one to six. So ten is her fastest number now. And her fastest number used to be six. So all of her notes from last year were scrapped um, and we're starting again, even though this is her third time doing Oregon, which we're doing next week. So um, I so her preparation in that case, because we're starting from scratch with notes, is looking at old recce videos um, because she can look at those recce videos and look at, you know, the difference in, you know, these are fast stages. We can push here in the BRZ. It's a really fast car. So... You know, but then there's a really tricky technical stage where her and I may need to conserve a little bit there. So we go over a lot before the rally. Um, and then once at the race, um, what's important is the reconnaissance. I truly believe that with a good recce, you win races. So um, after the two passes, the recce for a co-driver, they need to clean all the notes. They need to sit down with the driver, watch all the videos at double speed. Um, they need to highlight the notes where, where the important calls um, and then once I've done that with Leah, I go over it again on my own 
to make sure I'm really happy with my underlining, how I mark it up, because the timing and precision is my number one thing in that car. If, if I have good timing and precision, Leah can drive faster, we can win rallies. Um, and, and so that's really important. And the three hours sleep is usually because I've finished like a 12 hour long or more, sometimes 14 hours, sometimes recce. And then I have to prepare my notes to get in that rally car the next day. So there's definitely a lot of preparation that goes into it. Um, and I, I feel like the people who are getting good results are usually the people that are doing that preparation. Um, and we teach all that with, with Oz Rally Pro. We teach people, hey, this is what you need to be doing and, and this is the work you need to put in. And, you know, we have a lot of engineers that actually tra train with us because I guess engineers sometimes have a little bit more income um, and the engineers tend to say, oh, I, w I want to be a professional co-driver too. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Will you give up your $100,000 salary a year to take a risk that, you know, you might get paid two or $3,000 there and you might get paid it. And they're like, uh, like it, it's not the easiest thing to just say, I'm going to give up this engineering job and go do this route, crazy professional co-driving thing. So um, the the work and preparation is like, it's a good question you ask because that, that'll definitely make people build up their skills if they can get that that going well. I even look at circuit racing and it just, it doesn't even compare to rally. There's so much that goes <laughs> into it. It's really, it's really cool though. Um, but for you going forward, what are your rally career goals moving forward? Not only this year with Leah, but just, just in general, like if you're looking really far into the future, where do you want to go? Yeah, it's interesting. Alex and I have this conversation a lot because he's 50 now. So he's eight years older than me and I'm still 42 um and he did two full years in the world rally in a world rally car with ken in 2010 and 11. so he's really done everything he feels like he wanted to do in his career um yeah. but for me like i did the junior world championship with brendo um and that was incredible and i've done world rally rounds in the r5 but my ultimate goal is still to even if I got to do, I've been in obviously World Rally Car um, before and, and with Travis and the Subaru, it's the equivalent of a World Rally Car. It's very similar. Um, but to actually be in World Rally and be in a World Rally Car is definitely a goal still. And I feel like at 42, I, I'm just moving into that area where the experience really pays off. So some people might be like, oh, you're getting old, but John. You're Kenner, just getting Aiden, started. <laughs> yeah, John was 58 memory when he won his first wow. round of the world championship in in uh where were they argentina i think him, him and hayden won and so i'm like man i got 16 years to get to that so you have so much time so, my, I, my dad my dad only won his last bathurst when he was i think in his late 40s so oh yeah so you've cool. got plenty of time that is so cool <laughs> and, and i mean that to me is just like when you think about that like it, make, it makes people realize that it's motorsport is one of those things and you definitely know from your family is one of those things that you can do for quite a long time. <laughs> you can. Yeah, absolutely. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, Travis mentioned something about if the world rally come to America, he'd love to do it in a world rally car. And I was like, yes, please. So, um, but I mean, who knows? I don't know. Leah's not really sure of what path she wants to take. If she goes down the, rally part she loves circuit as well so she might want to go the formula one direction i'm not sure but 
if she wants to stick to rally, it could be a process of we go to the junior world championship and we go up that way. It's, it's, I guess, the hardest part in my job. It's always I'm the passenger. I'm not the one making the decisions of where we go and race and what we do. So it's usually an opening needs to come up in the world championship who needs an English speaking co-driver. Um, and that that opportunity you know doesn't come up that often because it, it has to a co-driver needs to retire or something like that for those doors to open so i usually say to people i think it'll have to be more a young kid that i start working with that comes through the ranks and develops and i get that opportunity so that's definitely still my goal to be in the world championship in the world rally car that would be awesome and our last question for you is what would your advice be for an aspiring rally (laughs) co-driver? I guess for any like young kid or someone who's even older, um, the first thing that you want to do is if you want to do what I've done with my life is set yourself goals. I say start with short-term goals first. So the short-term goals need to be achievable. Um, because if you don't make them achievable, you'll never even try and do what you're setting yourself as your big end goal. So, you know, it might be that I'm going to compete in six rallies this year, um, two state and, and three national or something like that, and then progress from there. So always start small, but have your big end goal. And your big end goal might be to compete in the Australian Rally Championship or be Australian Rally Championship. My big big end goal is to be world rally champion but obviously there's little goals and steps and progressions so so try and do that rather than setting yourself just a big goal and then not knowing how to get there without those small steps to to work your way there I think is the best piece of advice great well Rhiannon it's been such a good chat I've loved every moment of it I absolutely love rally um I I still don't know a whole lot about it but I yeah I just I love I love uh, listening. I love hearing about it. I love watching it. So yeah, super cool to get an insight into the awesome career you've had and see what you have coming up. And yeah, we'll be cheering you on and wishing you and Leah all the best for the rest of the season. So who knows, might run into you at a rally at some point as well, hopefully. But uh, yeah, all the best. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It's been awesome. And hello, Australia. You've just listened to another Network R production. 